Well, this uh, spring together, we're going to be looking at the book of Genesis. Now, we're not going to be looking at the entire book. It would take much, much longer than the spring. We're really just going to look at the first several chapters, about Genesis 1 to 17. And you can think of it this way. We're looking at Adam to Abraham. And the reason why we're doing this is several. One is we actually like to put all of God's Word in front of you. And if you kind of pay attention, you'll notice that from semester to semester in this Bible study, we kind of alternate between Old Testament and New Testament. We want to study the entire counsel of God. And so it's time for us to really look at the Old Testament. And many of us as Christians, if you've grown up around church, if you are a Christian this morning, or even if you're exploring Christianity, the Old Testament is probably an unfamiliar part of the Bible to you. And I say that saying that even as we study Genesis, we'll talk about this a little bit this morning, even these words in the beginning, you could be well outside of the church. This morning you could be checking out Christianity and be completely unacquainted with it. And you've probably heard of these words. Genesis as a book could be familiar to you perhaps as a man. But have you ever really studied it in depth? Have you really taken the time to really ask deep questions and go word for word for word? That's what we want to do together over these next several months from Adam to Abraham. The other reason why we're looking at this book is I believe it helps us tell the story not just of the beginning, but it sets the story for the entire Bible. And I would argue it actually tells the story of all of human life. Everything you experience, everything that you go through, every amount of uh, joy and sorrow, whatever sin that right now you feel embattled by, shame, how we work and operate, the way we think about who we are as human beings and our identities, all of these things can be found in just the opening chapters of the Bible. And so together over these next several months, each week you'll have uh, one of our uh, staff members, one of our pastors coming to teach. And then we want you to take the time to stick around and discuss in your tables. The way that we'll look is you will look around, you see these table numbers if you are new this morning, have not registered, I want you to look at that sheet right there. Um, tell you what, Brad, will you hold it up real quick? Looks just like this that Brad's holding up. It's a sign-in sheet. If you've not registered, please do that so that we can have your information and reach out to you, let you know about what's going on in our Bible study. But what you're going to do is you are going to either stay or you can go. Totally up to you. Those of you who want to stay in this room, you're welcome to. It will get loud during discussion time, which I think is really fun. But you are also welcome to take your table anywhere throughout this building. And uh, as you guys have been doing, if those of you were with us when the sanctuary, you can spread out. Some of you have found uh, rooms. Some of you have found spots around the fire. It's all fair game. But once you go and find a spot, stick around and really discuss um, what God has put before us in his word. All right? So let me pray, and let's dive in. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is absolutely true. and Every part of it speaks to our existence, to our identities, and to the great promises you have made to us that have been fulfilled in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that as we open the scriptures this morning, that you, Jesus Christ, the Word, 
would now do work through the word. Holy Spirit, would you give us illumination? Help us to receive the grace of your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we begin this study together, that you would show us more of who you are, who you've created us to be, and why that deeply matters for our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his holy and majestic and mighty name. Amen. So the very first words of the Bible are in the beginning. In the beginning. And as I said, it doesn't matter if you are a Christian or not, if you've grown up around Christianity or you haven't, odds are you are at least familiar with those words in the beginning. They are some of the most famous words of the Bible, and they are the first words of the Bible. It is our translation in three words of the very first word of the Bible in Hebrew, which is Bereshit, in the beginning. The question I want you to wrestle with this morning is what presuppositions are you bringing to these words in the beginning? Now, I know it's early. You're like, well, Paul just said a word that's weird, and I'm tired, and really do we have to go there? Yes, we do. We have to. The word presupposition simply refers to an implicit assumption that you have about the world that shapes the way that you think about any given topic. So as you think about the book of Genesis, and you think about even just these three words in the beginning, what assumptions do you have? What assumptions do you have about the Bible, about God? What assumptions do you have about the world, about science, about creation? What assumptions do you have about what you know, at least, of the book of Genesis? And how are you bringing that to the Bible as you read it? Another way to think about it is this. I'm going to quote him in just a second. There's a professor of philosophy I've been reading recently named Christopher Watkin. Those of you who've been around me, you've heard me talk about it a little bit, because I'm reading two of his books right now at once. Now, not to be confused, I like to point out with Christopher Walken, uh, who is a fine actor, um, but that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about a, a philosophy professor in Australia who has written extensively about all kinds of subjects, but particularly about postmodernism and contemporary philosophy. He's also written a little bit about Genesis, which I think is fascinating. And in a book that he wrote about Genesis, this is the way he puts it. I think it's a really helpful way to think about it. He says this, what questions do you ask yourself and what questions are you asking of the Bible as you read it? What questions do you have as you approach the book of Genesis? This semester together as you're thinking about, okay, and some of you just learned right now, we're doing Genesis, right? <laughs> so you haven't thought about this a lot. What questions do you have? And now compare that to what are the questions that Genesis actually asks on its own terms? You have your own set of questions that you are bringing to the book of Genesis, but we have to do the hard work to say, is that actually the question that Genesis is asking? As we get into these words in the beginning, in just the first three verses today, what is the actual question that Genesis is trying to address? 
And does that question have anything to do with your own presuppositions, your own assumptions, the own questions that you are bringing to the text? As we think about the book of Genesis, when we think about this book, we know that it is the story of beginnings in the beginning. And it, it starts with the story of creation. And that's really what we're going to look at for the next two weeks. This morning, we're really just looking at the first three verses as a way of introduction to wrap our minds around what kind of question is the Bible really asking in Genesis. And then next week, we'll be looking at the, the six days of creation followed by the seventh day of rest. And these questions are going to be important. What questions do you have about the six days of creation? And what question is the Bible trying to answer as that story unfolds? Well, as you think about those questions, there's lots of ways you can think about Genesis and creation. But often what we bring to Genesis is questions like how. Because that's one of the questions of our modern age. How? How did it happen? Explain to us how it happened. And that's an understandable question. But I would argue it's not the primary question that Genesis is trying to answer in the opening chapters. I would argue that the primary question that Genesis is trying to answer is not how, but who. Who? Who is behind all of this? Everything that we see, everything that we experience, this world, this universe, all that we can think we can explain and all we can't explain, who is behind it? And as you look through the, the history of science and philosophy, question after question, argument after argument, back and forth, back and forth, that is the ultimate question question that modern science, centuries of philosophy really can't answer apart from the Bible. Who is behind all of this? And the Bible and the book of Genesis gives us the answer. Our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you do not start with who, the rest of the Bible doesn't even make sense. I would argue that even our own existence being made in the image of God doesn't make sense. And if you want to argue with me, just look at our world and how many people are wrestling with their identity. Because if you do not know who it is that created you and who this God is, if you do not know his love and what it means to be made in his image, then everything else falls apart. And in just the first three verses of the Bible, we see who it is that made all things. And we see that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in just the first three verses of the Bible, we see whispers of his Trinitarian identity. That he is not multiple gods. He is one God. But he is one God in three persons who has personally and intentionally made all things for his glory. And so just briefly together before we go to your tables, I want to look at this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The who of creation. 
First, I want to look at the Father. I want you to look with me at verse 1. Verse 1, this is what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, real quickly, what I want to do with you is I want to just go word for word and take one word at a time to show you the intentionality of what God is putting us here and explaining who he is and why that is so important as we think about all of human existence and all of creation. So again, let's start with those first words, the words that are kind of our theme words for our study together in the beginning. Again, these words come from just one word in Hebrew, Bereshit, and that's the very first word of the Bible. The Bible begins talking about our origins, the beginning. And really all of Genesis, if you were to go all the way to the end, is really a book of beginnings, even the generations of humanity that unfold before us. And it doesn't take long, if you read the book of, genera- of, of generations, as it's often called, the book of Genesis, the book of generations, you will see that it doesn't take long in human history to see the whole thing fall apart. And if you see uh, and read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, you'll see that it's an honest account of just how broken and frail, needy, dependent, shameful and sinful that we really are, and yet we have a God who loves us and who's pursued us from the very beginning. We'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. Now, this idea of being the book of beginnings, the book of foundations, the book of where we come from, our origin, and this is important because you cannot understand who you are or where you're going unless you understand where you come from. It's why we tell family stories. It's why many of you over the holidays, if you've gathered around those uh, who are older than you, you probably listen to a story or two because those family stories shape us. They explain who we are and where we come from. And that's important because there's lots of other competing narratives and competing stories in our world today that are trying to explain where we come from. And the Bible gives us the true story, the story of where we come from and why it matters. Um, There are, if you've ever studied Genesis, there are many competing narratives that were written, ancient narratives, ancient myths about creation and our origin. Mesopotamian myths, creation myths. As we get to the flood, there's even a flood myth. And there are those who have said, well, look, The Bible is just borrowing from these things and just taking from these things. It's not even original. It's just one among many myths. But what I want you to understand, if you take time to study each of these myths, that when Genesis was written, and we believe written by Moses, the great teacher of Israel, when Genesis was written by Moses, that there was a conscientiousness of all of these competing stories which all, by the way, answer the question who very differently. Who's behind all of this? All of these myths say all of these gods, all of these goddesses, all of these other explanations. And Genesis was written to say all of that is wrong because everything exists because of the one true God. Who is this God? I want you to look at the next word. In the beginning, God. The word used here in the book of Genesis in Hebrew is the word Elohim. What's interesting about this word for God is it's actually a plural word. 
You could literally translate it gods, but that's not who we know him to be. He's not multiple gods. And why do we know that he's not multiple? Because then the next word is created. That verb, and I know we're getting a little technical here, but it matters. That verb created, bara, is singular. You have a plural name for God and a singular verb. And that is not happening because somebody didn't do their homework or didn't copy it downright. That is intentional. A purposely singular verb used for a single person and yet a plural name. Now, I think it would be too much to say, well, there's proof that the Trinity is right there in the very. I think it's too much. But I also think it's not enough to say there's not a whisper. A hint of who God is, one God in three persons. More than that, we know that there was a practice that's kind of known as something like the royal we. That there's an emphasis put when you have a plural word given almost as a title in a place where it should be singular. That there's emphasis put on the majesty, the bigness, and the grandeur of that individual. And I think that's what we're seeing here. Elohim, royal we, he is majestic, he is mighty, he is far bigger than just any ordinary individual. This is the one true God, God himself, and he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we get to that singular word, created, it's a word that's used to signify completion and intentionality. It's a word talking about the word creation that is used in this way in the Bible only when it is connected to God. There are lots of other words that you could use to talk about creativity and making things. But when this particular word is used, it is only used in connection with God because he alone is the creator. There is nothing that exists in this world that he did not make. He is the maker and creator of all things. Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 3 verse 7. And as we get into the Old Testament, what we will do often is go to the New Testament and see how all of this is deeply connected. Because we believe that the Bible tells one story of redemption, one story of salvation from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So as the Apostle Paul is reflecting on these things, he talks about God and talks about how God as creator actually has deep implications for the gospel that he preaches. This is what he says, Ephesians 3 verse 7. He says, Of this gospel I was made minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What I want you to see there is the Apostle Paul felt it important that as he was talking about this gospel that he's been entrusted to preach, 
the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for our salvation, he felt it was important to recognize that all of this begins with God the Father who created all things. But to say that it's only the Father who was there at creation is not biblically accurate. Now, one of the questions that I have on your sheets, and you may or may not get to this morning, but I want you to think about this week, whether or not your table talks about it, is just how Trinitarian is your view of God? As you think about God, as you worship God, as you read the Bible and consider who God is, just how Trinitarian is your belief about Him? And often when we think about creation, we think about, well, that was the Father's work. But the Bible actually tells a completely different story. That creation, and in fact, I would argue every single thing that God does, is a deeply Trinitarian work. Even salvation is Trinitarian. You see, because it was the Father who, before the foundation of the world, planned our salvation. The Son who carried out salvation on the cross and now the Spirit who is working salvation deep into our hearts. In the same way, creation is deeply Trinitarian. The very next words of Genesis talk about this. I want you to look with me. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit was there at creation hovering over the face of the waters. Now these words come right after some very important words in the opening words of Genesis. And they're the words formless and void. In the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Those words formless and void are used throughout the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, um, in Hebrew. And when they're used, often they're talking about judgment. Let me give you an example. This is Jeremiah, Jeremiah 4, 23. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was out without form and void, and to the heavens they had no light. The idea here is that in the beginning, there was nothingness. There was formlessness. There was chaos, there was void. And into that chaos, into that darkness, into that void, God spoke. And when he spoke, he brought order to chaos. He brought light to darkness. He brought the fullness of life where there was absolute nothingness. Those themes are deeply important, not only to Genesis, but to the gospel and to life itself as we go through this chaotic and dark and sometimes meaningless world. Our creator God brings light to darkness. He brings order to chaos And he brings the fullness of life to where there is meaninglessness. And it was over this darkness and over this chaos that we see the Spirit of God was hovering. 
Now that word for hovering is like a bird. You ever seen a bird kind of flap its wings and just kind of stay there for a second? Not really going forward or backward, but just kind of hovering. That's the word here. And I think it's an interesting word to use from the Spirit because as we will continue through the story of Genesis and we get to Noah, and we see that the waters of the flood begin to recede. And now God is beginning a new creation after he has destroyed the earth from the flood. What does Noah send out? A dove. A dove was the one that came and confirmed that new life and new creation was coming. It's interesting to me that then later as you fast forward through the Bible and we get to the story of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan, and there appears what? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. The waters of baptism, new life, and new creation. And actually, as we then continue through the New Testament, we begin to see that the work of the Holy Spirit is a creative work. Not of original creation in us anymore, we've been already made, but of new creation, of recreation, that the Holy Spirit is now making us new through the power of the gospel. Again, we see Apostle Paul talk about this in Romans 8. Romans 8, he says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The Spirit is working life through the power of the resurrection, new life and new creation into us. Paul goes on later in Romans 8, 8, 23 and talks about this throughout all creation, not only the creation, but we who ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Everything is waiting for all of this to be recreated. We are waiting for the new creation, and the Spirit is at work in us. That same Spirit who is there hovering over the face of the deep, over the darkness, and over the chaos that existed That spirit is now bringing order to chaos. Life where there is emptiness. Light where there is darkness. But not only do we see the spirit and his work at creation, we also see the sun. It's where we're going to end this morning and then I'll send you to your tables. Apostle Paul is also very clear about the sun's work at creation. And one of the best places you can go into the Bible for this is in the book of Colossians. Colossians 1. You don't have to turn there, but I do want you to write this down, and I want you to read this this week. It's an amazing passage about Jesus and his work at creation. Colossians 1, verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, listen to that, by him all things were created. Paul just said all things were created by Jesus. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now listen to this. He says, all things were created through him and for him. So the Apostle Paul says that all things were created by Jesus, all things were created through Jesus, and all things were created for Jesus. 
by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that Jesus was there at creation. The question is, where? We see the Father, we see the Spirit, but where is the Son? And I would argue we see the Son right there in verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Into the void, into the chaos, into the darkness, into the emptiness, God spoke. And this is the reason why John, the apostle in John 1, says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was Jesus. And here we see in just the first three verses the word speak. The Son speaking life into darkness, order into chaos, bringing fullness where there was nothing. Let there be light. So I don't know what you are facing as you approach this study. I don't want presuppositions that you have, but here's what I do know, that you have experienced darkness in your life. And whether that darkness has been outside of you and other people, or you've just seen the darkness in our world, or there is something dark in your own heart right now, this is the message of the Bible, of the gospel, and it's the message of the, just the first few verses of Genesis. God brings light to our darkness. If you've had questions about the world, questions about your own life, questions about meaning, what we see in just the first few verses of the Bible in the book of Genesis, that God, the Creator, is the one who brings fullness and life where there just seems to be nothingness. And however chaotic your life seems and however hard you try as a man just like me to try to bring order to where there's chaos on your own terms, God alone is the one who brings order to what is broken and chaotic. This is the story of the Bible. It's the story of the gospel and it's the story of our existence and it's the story that we get to wrestle with over these next few months together. So I'm gonna pray for you, send you to your tables. I want you to stick around. Really take the time, get to a few of these questions, take this sheet with you, you're not going to get to all of them. Look over these questions this week, and then next week we'll come back and we'll look at the first chapter of the book of Genesis together and talk about the six days of creation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for my brothers now as they talk about these things, and Holy Spirit, we do ask that you would now bring order to our own chaos and our own questions that you would bring illumination to those dark places of our hearts and minds that we just simply cannot comprehend the fullness and grandeur and majesty of who you are as our creator. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray now that you would do a new work in us, a recreative work, that we would indeed be new creations. And that as new creations, as we consider all that you have done for us and making us in your image and all that you have set before us in the fullness of time, we pray that more than anything else, that each and every Tuesday we would leave this place as worshipers. It would be so overwhelmed by the majesty and wonder of what you have done that all we could do is to worship you and to declare that you are holy, you are good, and that you are a creator.
We ask this in your holy name. Amen.